Welcome to 10-Minute Theology, thinking rightly about God, scriptures, and the church. 10 minutes at a time, with Joel Wentz. Welcome back to this prolonged exploration of Genesis chapter 3, but today I think will be the last episode on it. So again, if you um, haven't listened to previous episodes, this series is about trying to read and respect scripture itself. Just like we'd read and respect ancient history, serious works of philosophy and theology and things like that. And I would strongly recommend listening to at least the previous episodes of chapter 3, because today we're picking up with a very, very, very famous section. It is the curse, famously known as the curse. That song, Joy to the World, that we sing every Christmas where it says, Far as the curse is found, that's what it's referring to, is this section of the Bible. So, verses 14 to 19 of chapter 3 contain what is a very famous and, in my experience, a famously misunderstood section of Scripture. This is the curse that humans and the earth bear because of the wrongdoing, the transgression that just happened in chapter 3 of the reaching for the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Again, the last episode especially has some more unpacking of what happened in that interaction. So today we're going to focus on the curse itself. And a couple quick points that I want to make as groundwork for understanding this well. First, remember, it was ancient Jewish people who were writing this story down. I've said that a few times, but it's worth repeating over and over again. They had lived through and seen things like war, slavery, oppression, and social upheaval. They had been oppressed by empires. They, you know, all these things. So in a very real sense... This story is their account, their faithful, religious, you know, spiritual account of making sense of this crazy world. <laughs> they were trying to make sense of what they'd seen and why things are the way they are. This is a very distinctly Jewish account of those things. Two, remember, it's been clearly established that the source of all of this is humans overreaching themselves. The humans were grasping for the knowledge of good and evil to define it on their own terms. It's not just that they broke some arbitrary rule that a distant and capricious God was testing them with. This is coming out of their own agency, their own actions, what and what they did with it. And three, remember, please remember, this whole creation project was a gradual ordering of chaos. Listen to chapter one for more on that. This is the moment when the ordering God had established begins to reverse itself dramatically. So the, there's been order and order and building and order, and then humans are a culmination of that, and they're placed in the order, and they're given rules and how to further it. And then this is what happens when it starts to reverse itself. Probably the most important thing to say about this point is that, this is simple, but it's worth saying and emphasizing, this is not what God wanted for God's world. And frankly, it kind of drives me crazy when people point to the curse of Genesis and use it as some sort of proof text that the God of these pages is a backwards and crazy and primitive God to believe in, and that it is belief in this God that is the source of all of society's ills. They point at this curse. I've heard people do this. I've been in recent conversations where people have done this, and it just, oh, it drives me crazy because if you take the text seriously, which again is what we are trying to do here, then it is just impossible to miss the fact that this is not at all what God was aiming for. The curse is not what God wanted. That was not supposed to be where the whole creation project went, and it is the result of humans wrongfully employing their agency that they were given by God in the first place. Okay, 
That's a little bit of my soapbox, but it's so important to understand this in a respectful way. So now let's talk about what is actually in this infamous curse. The curse explains, I think, all of our struggles in human society. If you look through the text, it includes everything. I won't read all of it now, but it includes the struggle to supply ourselves with food. By sweat you shall work from the ground. That's a, that's a struggle. It includes that. It includes the struggle to continue our lineage because of pain in childbirth. It includes our broken relationship with animals in the ground. It's that the ground will work against us. And even the broken patriarchal power dynamic relationship between men and women. When it says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband and what he shall rule over you. This is all bound up in this curse. In short, this text is explaining, it's describing the kind of brokenness that spools out from human society when we try to define good and evil on our terms and we don't conduct it on a trusting relationship with God. It's describing what happens as a result. We get that, we get that backwards sometimes when we think that God was prescribing some arbitrary punishment because God was mad that we didn't listen. But no, it's describing what happens when our freedom and agency is employed on our own terms, in a non-trusting term. And again, if this still, if this still all sounds primitive to you, stop and think for a second about a list of things like industrial farming today or food crises around the world where certain, literally certain people groups cannot get enough food while others, namely affluent countries, have more than enough that they need. Think about environmental crises that are looming around us or even how the recent Me Too movement shown a necessary spotlight on a lot of messed up power dynamics between men and women in different areas of career fields, especially in Hollywood, but in other spheres of our society today. All of those things can be addressed by the curse of Genesis. It's very relevant. So in other words, we are still living in the reality in some sense of that curse. It's all still happening. And it's all, I think, still a result of actions that we do and don't take. It's all bound up together. And again, in the world and the story of Genesis, this was decisively not, not how God wanted or planned for things to go. So, if we started this episode asking, or the last episode rather, how will God respond to the humans right after they eat the fruit? We can come near the end of this episode asking a somewhat similar question. What will God do now that the creation project is going so off the rails and order is being undone back into chaos. What will God do as a result of this? Will God give up? Will God start over? Will this smiting ever happen that we see in other stories? These are really good questions. They're all good questions. But I want to end here and close out chapter 3 with a few of what I think are interesting and poignant notes on all of this. One is that Eve finally does get her name. It's interesting to realize that up until this point, I've mentioned a few times, Eve is never named Eve. Before now, she was simply woman, just as Adam or Adam was simply the word for man. Again, Adam is the Hebrew word there. So a couple things to say about this. The new name clearly has something to do with life and procreation because it says that she is the mother of the living. Also... 
some scholars think that Adam naming Eve is actually somehow connected to this broken power dynamic in the curse that was just um, explained by God. Because again, Adam named all the animals in an act of dominion. Then woman was created and given as Adam's partner, and Adam does not name her. So there doesn't seem to be any dominion over the woman. But here we see Adam already working out some of the implications of the curse, possibly in naming Eve. This is an interesting discussion in biblical scholarship, and for now I won't settle it, but I think that it's a really interesting detail in the story. But as after this all happens, God clothes the humans in animal skins. And interestingly, also, little details here, they're really easy to miss, but this seems to be the first killing of animals in this story. And I read it as a small mercy on the act of God to clothe his children, so to speak, even after their profound disobedience. Remember the connection of nakedness and shame. This seems to be God providing a shield over shame. And finally, we'll end on this. God does indeed banish them from the garden. This is undeniable. You cannot get around it. And in this move, in the text itself, it is explained that God was protecting the humans from the tree of life so that they did not have access to the tree of life. It seems evident that access to this would have prolonged their cursed state into eternity, so to speak. And reading it this way, I think, shows that even though God is seen as extremely merciful in every stage of the story, I think, in fact, banning them from the access to this tree in their state is an act of mercy, that even though there is profound mercy and grace and gentleness, there are still repercussions for acting outside of the ordering activity that God has been working to bring about. And here we see the repercussion is the killing of animals and the banishment from the space that was created. But banishment in some ways, even for the human's own good, because they would not have access to this eternal life from this tree in the state that they have put themselves in. So there is Genesis chapter 3, and in this tightly, tightly written story, there is so much. We see a profound account of how humans were given their authority in the first place. We were seeing, seeing how they were given genuine agency and then how they exercised it and what they did with the choice they were confronted with, when it was abused, what they did as a result, how they psychologically responded, and then how the divine responded to them. And we can see already the roots, the explanatory roots of the very real societal issues that plague us even today, as I mentioned, even today. So we have profound insights into humans, how they function, into what would what would it be like for humans to flourish, and why we aren't flourishing. It's all bound up in an ancient story that is certainly worthy of our respect. Thanks for listening. For more information, you can check out the podcast page at joelwentz.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Joel the Valiant, and of course, you can subscribe to 10 Minute Theology on iTunes. Take care. Oh,